Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Michael Shikashio, one of the world's leading experts in aggression in dogs. But don't let this scare you. This isn't really about dogs being aggressive per se, but we will be talking about resource guarding, what to look for, and how to handle it when the family dog starts to get overprotective of certain items. I hope you enjoy. Well, hello there, Michael. I am so glad to have you as a guest with me right now. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Thank you. So for those of you that do not know Michael, he is one of the world's leading experts in helping people with aggressive and reactive dogs. And so today I have him here to talk to us about dogs that are especially reactive towards children and dogs that have resource guarding issues, whether it's to a particular family member or whether it's to objects in the home. And we want to make sure that both the dog feels safe and respected and that the children are not at risk. How does that sound? Sounds great. Sounds great. Okay, so let's just dive in. Um, there is an expression that I hear a lot and I would love to hear your take on this. And that is the expression that my dog is protective. Okay, and I see it in a lot of ways. I see it when I'm working with my clients who are pregnant. I get a lot of them saying, my dog is extra protective of me while I'm pregnant. And then I hear things like dogs, the dog is protective of the baby. The dog wants to always be near the baby. And they say that the dog is being protective. I would love to hear your thought on that choice of word and what you think is really going on. So an important thing to do there is really assess what's going on for sure, because it can look protective, but, but it could be other things. Okay. You know, so when babies come along, as you and your listeners know, it's that it's stressful for dogs, you know, changes in the environment, addition of family members, whether it's humans or other animals, can be stressful for the dog, and that can create behavior changes in our own animals. So uh, we have to kind of look at why would the dog be seemingly protective. Now, it can be true in some circumstances where the dog is truly becoming protective of a certain person in the family. I've seen that more during the pandemic time here, where yeah. they just because somebody's home more often, it's almost like there's a resource available more often for the dog. So yeah. there are some cases where the dog can be protective, but sometimes it can be other reasons. Uh, it can be, again, stress changes in routine, dog just needing more attention from the, uh, the parent or the owner. And so, uh, again, the best way to assess that is just to go through the, the background history of the dog. And that's why bringing in a behavior professional also helps. Right. I agree with that. So let's say a dog tends to hover around one particular person and maybe seems a little bit distressed if somebody else approaches. So I have one client, for example, she's a newlywed and she has a dog who seems to get pretty upset when her new husband wants to hug and kiss her. So 
we're working on that a little bit, but the idea is, is that, is it that we want to try to make her dog feel safe and that the husband is not threatening her? How would you, because what ultimately is going to happen is she wants to have a child and she knows that she will never be without a little human on her body for a really long time, for a couple of years maybe. And so she wants to kind of practice with her new husband a little bit on how to support her dog in these right. feelings before there's actually a human in the mix. So what would you say about that? So there could be a couple of things going on there. What I typically see is the dog is actually resource guarding that person. Okay. So just like if you replace that person with a food bowl or a bone or a new toy, the dog finds that that person is very valuable and they don't want to lose access to that person. So it's almost okay. like husband comes over and now is removing the food bowl or the bone or the person. So that's a kind of resource guarding that can be displayed. So like the, the, the mom might be petting the dog and then all of a sudden the husband comes over and like now the mom stops petting the dog. So the dog okay. thinks, like, well, wait a second, every time this guy comes over, I lose petting that stops. So that's not a good thing when this guy comes over. So, you know, so that's, that's a form of resource guarding. And the other form is much less common is when it's actually true protective behavior. And that generally doesn't happen with directed towards family members. It can, if there's a history of the dog feeling that that person is a threat to that uh, owner. Now, an interesting case I've had is where the couples was not hurting each other and they just loved the world wrestling federation thing and they would constantly like actually be body slamming each other around the house <laughs> and doing strange things like that but that actually the dog started thinking that the husband was hurting the wife when he was and he was just playing around but the dog started behaving aggressively towards him because he thought he was worried was a threat right so that's true protective behavior when the dog perceives that a person is a threat to the owner okay so most common though is the resource guarding issue and that's just a function of the dog getting something attention petting close proximity to the owner sitting on the dogs or sitting on the owner's lap those kind of situation okay. cuddling that cuddling next to them in the bed again another common scenario you know come one one spouse gets up in the middle of the night goes to the bathroom tries to come back to bed dog starts growling at them right right so, so how would you form. say is the best way to support the dog in helping them still feel seen but yet, I mean, your spouse has to be able to get back in bed with you. So how do, how do you deal with that? One of the best things you can do is change their association with when people approach or the husband or wife approaches. So whoever the dog is having issues with, that person can start to pair positive things happening with their approach. Mm -hmm. So one of the most common things I do is use food uh, that I start out with having the owners toss treats near the dog and then walk away. So they approach while the dog is maybe next to the owner on the bed or next to them on the couch. They approach, toss the street, and walk away. Okay. Approach, toss the street, and walk away. Different angles, different times of day. And what you'll start seeing is that when the, the let's say the husband that's being growled at approaches, you'll see the growling shift to, oh, it's you again. And the tail starts wagging, the head comes up, and the dog has a much more uh, positive response to that approach because it predicts something good's about to happen. Right. And and a common misconception is, aren't you rewarding the dog for guarding the person? But if you set things up correctly and you stay at enough distance when you first start out, the dog won't display the guarding, the lunging, the biting, whatever it is that they're doing that's undesirable. If you set things up correctly, they won't do that. So I might have them approach from 10 feet away if that's what it takes at first. You do that enough times, you're going to be able to do it from eight feet away, 
then six okay. feet away, then four feet away, then two feet away. Then the additional step though that's important is the dog should come away from that person. So I'm gonna recall the dog away from the spouse. Okay. If they're on the couch or the bed, I'll be like, you know, Fido, come. And the dog comes off the bed, gets the treat from the person that's approaching. Uh -huh. That person now is able to go back to bed or sit on sit next to the other person. And then the dog can usually come back and have no problems with it. Right. So because they're no longer losing possession at that moment of that person. So So it seems like and this is it you're reinforcing something that I tell clients a lot is the idea that distance is really your best friend that if you can get to the point where the dog doesn't feel that the interloper is a threat at all which means that maybe the interloper is at the doorway but doesn't even enter the room at first so the dog's not uncomfortable with the approach of that person then eventually they can get closer and closer and continue right the dog's feeling safe and non-threatened. Is that right? Exactly. It's a, and it's important to take note of that because every dog is different. So if you were to give a cookie cutter approach to every single dog, it's not going to work for every dog. Some dogs need a lot of distance and some dogs pick this up so quickly it can happen in just a few days. Okay. The change. So it's really important to always work at your dog's level of comfort. Meaning okay. They shouldn't feel the need to growl or posture or freeze or get stiff or stress about the approach of the other person. Should we be done at a level where they're just noticing but not going to the undesirable behaviors? Um, so reactivity and aggression are, that's your wheelhouse. And a lot of people are worried that their dog might be aggressive. How do you feel about the label aggression and when it's appropriate to use that? And how would you know what is aggression and what is not aggression? So aggression is a it's a construct or what's kind of like what's called a label, and it just it helps us when somebody's looking for help for the dog. That's that's why I label my business aggressivedog.com. It's, it's not I'm something share that <laughs> so people can yeah. find you. It's and it's not something I, I label dogs. I never say your dog's aggressive or your dog's reactive because that's also a label or mm -hmm. a construct. It's just like saying you know Michelle is funny. She's a funny person, but she doesn't, mean she's, doesn't mean she's funny all the time. You're not going to go to somebody's funeral and start cracking jokes. Right. So there's an example of it's a label. So okay. dogs are not aggressive all the time. They're, they will show aggressive behaviors in certain contexts. And aggressive behaviors are quite normal for almost all species when, it, when something's threatening enough. So humans display different levels of aggression quite often. Just think about the last time somebody cut you off in the, on the highway and what you did or whoever was listening. What they, Just think about that for a moment. What was your response? It may it's have been anywhere from something very passive to just what our dogs might do. We might say, look away, I'm not going to pay attention to that person. And that's one level of trying to diffuse the situation and dogs can do the same. So we might not label that aggressive, but it's used to diffuse a, a threat all the way and up to you're going to yell or scream or swerve your car or rev up and actually slam into that person. That might be considered aggressive, but you are doing the same thing as if you're looking away. You're trying to make the threat go away. So there's different levels of communication and there's certain behaviors that might be labeled aggressive, but they're all behaviors all in the okay. spectrum as you move towards 
again, the common goal is I want that thing to go away. The scary thing or the threatening thing to go away. Yeah. I was going to ask or clarify. So it seems like a lot of that would then come from fear, right? That I am uncomfortable with this, whatever the trigger happens to be. And I want it to leave. Most aggression cases are based in fear. Not all of them. There are, okay. there are exceptions to that, but the vast majority of aggression cases usually have the dog is fearful of something. The dog is, um, has some underlying pain or discomfort. So they don't want to be touched or held or moved. And sometimes it's resource guarding. So they don't want to lose their access to a resource. So there's sometimes this common misconception is called fear of losing the resource, but the underlying emotional response is actually more something related to frustration and even anger. So if mm -hmm. somebody, somebody comes over to my plate at the restaurant and sticks their hand in there, um, I, the feeling is maybe some fear. You're like surprised and, and you have some fear, but you're going to be angry too. So that's the, that's some of the other emotions involved. So there's, there's different types of reasons for aggressive behavior. And then you have some rare cases where the dog is doing it confidently and happy, happily. So if you have a, dog that is from a breed that is purpose-bred to protect people or flock or property and they so let's say somebody comes and approaches the owner and it's their belgian malinois from working lines standing next to them they're more likely to just protect their owner because that's what they've been bred for and they're happily going to do it because that's their job so right. different right. that's a different case but those cases are rare those it's much so often that, towards the fear side so that actually makes a strong argument for really knowing your dog, it seems like, because I think that there are dogs in general, breed characteristics that are maybe less suited for being family dogs with children than others. And I realize that a lot of people have mixed breed dogs and you don't know what you're getting. And some people have a dog before they have children and it's not like it's a choice because they have the dog that they have in which case management is going to keep everybody safe management and a lot of mental stimulation and things like that. But it, what you're saying is, is really important that if you do have children or a baby and you're thinking about getting a dog that perhaps doing your research about what that dog was originally used for might be right. useful information. Very important. If, if you have a purebred dog, or if you even have a DNA test done on your dog that's showing certain breeds, um, of the same type of category. So you might have a dog that's a Australian Shepherd cattle dog mix. I mean, there's two herding breeds. It's important to know what those dogs have been historically bred to do over time. Right. Um, because many of those behavior traits or tendencies will still be there. So we, yeah. you know, it may not be suitable for certain pet dog homes. I have a client right now who, uh, she has a toddler and she has a healer mix. And her biggest challenge is the healer mix chases and bites her toddler all the time. And so we were joking about the idea that, you know, she is having this problem. She got the dog that was intended to chase and herd things. And that's what it's doing to her toddler. And yes, it's if you think about it, I mean, the amount of work and time that so many people spent over the years trying to get that dog to do that task of herding sheep or flock and perfecting it and putting time and effort into it over and over through many generations. And now we're at a point in um, our history where we don't need a lot of that. Not nobody, people who are getting border collies most of the time are not, they don't have sheep in their backyard. So the dog's like, all right, well, what do I do now? Because all my 
parents and their grandparents and their parents and their parents and so forth kept doing the same thing. Now I don't, I can't do the same thing. So what do I do? Well, that kid looks like he needs a little hurting, right? Right. So, yeah, it sounds like you're pushing a boulder uphill because you're asking a dog to do something other than what it's bred for. So then yeah. finding other ways to keep that dog mentally stimulated yes. sounds like an important. Alternative uh, enrichment activities are right. important. Okay, that's really good. So um, let's go back to the resource guarding. Um, it obviously can be a problem. I, I had one client who called me after their uh, dog had nipped the toddler in the face because the dog was a resource guarder and they had a babysitter at the house and the toddler got too close to the dog. Now, there's a whole lot of things that went wrong there. First of all, the babysitter wasn't informed and that was a communication breakdown because that was avoidable. Um, but resource guarding when you've got children um, and dogs in the same house sounds like a recipe for disaster. So how would you advise families if you're worried that your dog tends to be protective over certain items, but you also have kids that, you know, little Tasmanian devils moving around the house, is it just all about separation and management or is there also training they can do? Um, it, uh, the foundation for any aggression case or dogs that have resource guarding issues or any history of aggression is safety and management first okay. because if you don't have that it doesn't matter how much behavior training you do it's you're going to have risks of the dog practicing the behavior that you don't want and when especially with aggression if they practice that behavior it, they remember it so they remember if, if i made that kid get away from my bone with just a quick snap to his face they're going to remember that for the next time yeah and so we really want to pre prevent rehearsal of that behavior for many reasons, of course. So yes, safety and management really play a role. And I like to use a lot of analogies, you know, it's like, it's, we, we have to have realistic expectations about our dogs. And resource guarding is, is a very normal behavior. If we look back at the pandemic and how toilet paper was flying off the shelves, and if you got your two rolls and somebody reached into your cart, what are you gonna do? You're gonna resource guard. And dogs are the same thing, so we can't put false expectations on dogs to say they're never going to guard something that's of high value for them. So we want to make sure we're doing things safely, especially when kids are involved, as you know. And, um, and it's, it's like you have a power tool at home. You know, so you, if you have a running power tool and your chainsaw is running on the kitchen table, you're going to let the babysitter know it's there and what the problem is of that happening. And so because... You know, the dogs are much safer than running chainsaws, believe me, you know, statistically, I don't want to scare anybody away from having dogs, but it's the same concept. It, you know, they have teeth, they're living animals, their potential for resource guarding is there because they're a live being. Your feelings, <laughs> and, yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, having just a, a level of kind of understanding of what the potential for problems can be, even if there hasn't been a problem. So you've had a running chainsaw on your table for years, but the babysitter doesn't know what the routine you go through is. So, right. uh, so that's first and foremost. And then, of course, you could do the behavior change part of things, which is teaching the dog that when the baby approaches, good things happen. You know, so pairing treats with the baby crawling around, doing it safely, of course, having some barriers or something in place mm -hmm. so the dog can't physically, so the, the two parties can't physically get right. close to each other. But it's really the presentation of baby approaching 
when the dog's in this certain area, predicts good things gonna happen. And you rinse mm -hmm. and repeat that enough times, soon the dog's like, this kid is great. Every time the kid comes out, that's when the super awesome goodies come out. That's how you start to work on the behavior. Okay, that's great. So that's a lot like what we talked about before with my newlywed client as well. It's really the appearance of the thing that used to be a threat. If you can transition that and have that predict good things, yes, then you can change how the dog feels, which then prevents them from feeling like they need to be assertive and asking you to back away. Correct. Yes. Okay. That sounds really good. Okay. I don't really have other questions in particular. I, um, I just really wanted to go over some of those labels. There are some misconceptions. Um, I do have a resource on my website. It's a babysitter safety planner and it's literally, you know how, I mean, you have a child and I know that, you know, originally when our kids were tiny, you always have like something for the babysitter. It's got like emergency contact, mm -hmm. next door neighbor's phone number, here's my cell phone, whatever. And, um, and anything like bedtime and foods the kid can't have, right? So it's a similar kind of thing, but it's for a babysitter about the dog. So it's a literally a plan like, okay, during bath time, the dog goes here. During when my kid's in the high chair, the dog can have this activity and the baby is over here. It's literally a plan because I've seen it over and over. I have one client who's dog bit the toddler when the grandma was watching then you have it happen mm -hmm. when the babysitter is watching and i just think that people don't realize that the dog is this sentient creature who needs the same level of attention you know once the dog is in a cozy spot the dog's probably fine but it's helping them feel confident you know and safe right. And a babysitter wouldn't know that they're not a dog trainer and they probably are unfamiliar with dog body language. So we have to intervene. And, you right. Know. We, we, it's the sum of someone's experiences with dogs. Somebody might have grown up with 20 dogs in their home and no history of aggression or problems at all. And they right. got lucky. <laughs> lucky and then, and then that's an experience. So they might think that this dog is just dog. So I can have the baby crawl all over it and do all the things that my previous dogs used to do. And that could be a big mistake because it's setting up false expectations. Well, and it also ignores the fact that every dog is an individual, right? And every dog exactly. is entitled to its own opinion, right? And I feel like a lot of people with kids and dogs have rose colored glasses on all the time and they just hope for the best, but right. really being proactive seems to make a gigantic yeah. difference in not only your sanity, but I mean, the stakes are high there's no reason that we should pussyfoot around it i the stakes are really high if your dog makes a big mistake either you may need to rehome your dog or euthanize the dog and i would love to see that not even be an issue yes yeah. i'm sure you see that a lot yes because you know, children are the number one demographic for dog bites you know yeah. they're, 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 the kids get bitten the most so um it's kind of you know, one of the things we really want to focus on is dog safety, dog bite safety, because again, the ramifications. When a dog bites a child, it's very alarming for a lot of people. It's a big deal. Um, and, you know, it's often blamed on the dog. And so the outcome can be very poor for dogs that bite children because right. it's not acceptable in many society, in, in our society in a way. So right. uh, again, I think we just educate the safety aspect of it and, and, and being proactive rather than reactive right. about the whole thing can go yeah. such a long way. Well, I thank you so much for sharing your time with us and helping people know you don't know what you don't know. And so I think you being here helps people 
get started on the right foot. So these issues are simple to deal with and they can make progress that they need to make. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for Thank having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on iTunes or on the podcast app of your choice. If you're looking for ongoing support for your family with dogs, be sure to get on the waiting list for my Thriving Parents with Kids and Dogs membership at www.safekidsanddogs.com. And don't forget to follow Pooch Parenting on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening.